American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about Father Leo Heinrich, a German Franciscan who was martyred at the communion rail in Denver. This is such a sensational story that it's surprising his name isn't more well-known among American Catholics. You're not kidding. But this is why we do this podcast. So who was Father Leo and where did he come from? Well, Father Leo Heinrichs was born Joseph Heinrichs in Ostrich, Rhineland, Germany, on the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, August 15, 1867. In his teens, Joseph sought to enter the Franciscan Order of Friars Minor in Fulda, Germany, but the anti-Catholic Kulturkampf of Otto von Bismarck was making life difficult for Catholics, and especially religious orders. Well, tell us a little bit more about the Kulturkampf, because it figures into a number of these stories about German Catholics coming to the United States. Sure. So Bismarck wanted a unified Germany for German reasons. He viewed the Catholic Church as a threat, or at least a competitor, to this goal, so he worked to reduce its power. So beginning in 1871, Bismarck started the Kulturkampf, or culture struggle. First, he expelled the Jesuits. Then eventually he expelled all religious orders. He had many bishops imprisoned or expelled, and he made it mandatory that all who sought to enter religious studies had to study for three years at a secular German university before they would be permitted to enter religious studies. The Franciscans of Fulda fled first to New York State, where some German-speaking Capuchins had previously established a monastery, and they welcomed their Franciscan confreres. Eventually, the bishop of the new diocese of Ogdensburg, New York, gave the Franciscans a parish to staff. A few years later, Bishop Michael Corrigan of Newark, New Jersey, invited a group of them to establish a monastery and parish in Patterson. And that monastery and parish, St. Bonaventure, is where Joseph Heinrichs was sent. Yes. In 1886, he arrived at St. Bonaventure's in Patterson to further his Franciscan formation and to study to be a priest. He made simple vows as a Franciscan on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, December 8, 1887, and was given the name Leo. Three years later, he made his final vows also on the Immaculate Conception, December 8, 1890. And then the following year, he was ordained a priest on the Feast of St. Anne and Joachim, July 26, 1891, which also happens to be my birthday. <laughs> right. So he was born on the Assumption, twice took vows on the Immaculate Conception, and was ordained on the Feast of Mary's parents. I'm noticing a Marian theme in his life. Yes, and it lasts right up to the end. Mary had a special place in his heart, and she had a special place for him. So Father Leo Heinrichs, OFM, began his priestly ministry in northern New Jersey. He was made Master of Novices for the Friary. He served as a pastor. He ministered to the sick during a smallpox epidemic, and he was generally a well-loved priest. In 1907, Father Leo had a new opportunity. He was sent west to become pastor at the parish that the Franciscans ran in Denver, Colorado. So how did the Franciscans in Patterson, New Jersey, end up managing a parish in Denver? Well, as had happened in Ogdensburg and Newark, the Bishop of Denver needed help with the parish of German-speaking immigrant Catholics. Joseph Machabuf, that first Bishop of Denver, had established St. Elizabeth of Hungary to be the parish for these German Catholics in 1878, and nine years later, in 1887, he asked the Franciscans of St. Bonaventure in Patterson 
to send some German-speaking friars to help, which they did. So in September 1907, 40-year-old Father Leo Heinrichs arrived in Denver. Yes, but just five months later, this well-loved friar, this refugee from the persecution of Bismarck's culture comp, would become a martyr. Father Leo arrived in September and quickly became popular among his flock and especially among the homeless in the area. Every morning he would feed everyone who came to the friary gate and offer kind words of encouragement and a blessing. And then this is where the tragic but blessed coincidences begin. Yes. At some point after arriving in Denver, he received permission from his superiors to return to Germany. He'd not seen his family in more than 20 years and was eager to make the trip. But there were 70 children in the First Communion class, so he decided to put off the trip home until the summer so he would be around to administer the sacrament in June. In mid-February 1908, he spoke at a meeting of the Ladies' Sodality, and in the course of his remarks he said, quote, If I had my choice of a place where I would die, I would choose to die at the feet of the Blessed Virgin, unquote. Words that would prove to be prophetic. Yes, certainly. The following week, on Sunday morning, he switched mass times with another priest, Father Wulstan Werkmann. Father Leo normally celebrated the 8 a.m., but he had a meeting that morning, so he asked to have the 6 a.m. instead. This earlier mass was offered for the men who had to go to work and couldn't make a later mass time. Sitting in the third row that morning was Giuseppe Guarnaccio Alia. Alia was an Italian anarchist who had only recently come through Ellis Island. Alia hated the Catholic Church and especially priests. Alia had decided that morning to murder four priests, and he had with him a revolver with bullets he'd sharpened to a point. Before Mass, he positioned himself right in front of the pulpit and intended to shoot Father Leo during the sermon. However, since the Mass was for working men and Father Leo wanted to keep it short, he did not go to the pulpit for his sermon. Instead, he just made a few remarks from the top step of the altar and then continued with Mass. So Alia was forced to wait for communion. Which he did. He approached the rail and knelt between two older women. When Father gave him communion, he spat it out into his hand and flung it back at Father Leo. Then he pulled out his pistol and shot Father Leo once in the chest before whirling around and running toward the main door, shrieking like a demon. The altar boy had had just enough time to shout, Look out, Father, before the shot was fired. Father Leo, mortally wounded, exclaimed, My God, my God, before he fell. With strength failing, he placed the ciborium on the lower step of the side altar and managed to replace two hosts in it before he died. He died smiling and pointing to the remaining hosts that had spilled onto the floor. And where he died, of course, was at the foot of the side altar dedicated to Mary, just as he had desired. Like I said, Mary had a special place for him. After firing the shot, Giuseppe Alia didn't get far. No, he didn't. It was, after all, the working man's mass, so there were a few able-bodied men there that morning. One man tripped him as he bolted down the aisle, and an off-duty police officer tackled him at the door. With the help of a few other men, they subdued Alia. He was arrested and taken to the city jail. Before long, the shocking news spread, and many men in the town began grumbling about lynching the murderer. Fearing mob justice, the authorities moved Alia to the county jail, which was a more fortified building, and then they eventually slipped him out of town to Colorado Springs to await trial. While in jail, Alia spouted his anti-Catholic venom, exclaiming that his only regret was that he could not shoot the whole bunch of priests in the church. Father Verkman, who, remember, was supposed to offer the 6 a.m., visited Alia in jail to try to minister to him. Alia spat and swore at him, 
Alia was convicted of murder and hanged, though the Franciscans pleaded for him to be spared. His final words were, Death to the priests. The coroner ruled that Father Leo's death was due to a single bullet wound through the left ventricle of the heart. During the autopsy, it was revealed that Father Leo had worn leather straps around his upper arms and his waist, which had pointed iron hooks on the inside of them. The skin was raw and calloused in places, but there was no sign of infection. None of his brother friars had any knowledge of this penitential practice. Father Verkman, reflecting on his brush with death, told the Denver Post, quote, I would have been killed and he would be alive now. There's only one way to solve the affair that I could see, and that is that God chose the better man, unquote. Father Leo's funeral was attended by the mayor of Denver and the governor of Colorado. It was one of the largest Denver had ever seen. Which was remarkable when you consider Father Leo had fled religious persecution in Germany and traveled thousands of miles, only to be martyred by an Italian anarchist five months after arriving in Denver. Father Leo's body was eventually transferred back to the Franciscan Mother House in Patterson, New Jersey, where he was interred in the Franciscan Cemetery. When the order's graves were moved in 1911, Father Leo's body was found to be in a remarkably good condition. His casket and habit were badly decayed, and the other friars who had died after him showed the expected deterioration, but his head and face were well-preserved. That same year, a parish in what is now Elmwood Park, New Jersey, was dedicated to St. Leo the Great, a move made to honor Father Leo Heinrichs. Father Leo is listed among American martyrs and is the proto-martyr of Colorado. His cause for canonization opened in 1926, but stalled. People still visit his grave and pray for his intercession, and favors are attributed to him to this day. So who knows, maybe one day that parish in Elmwood Park will be dedicated not to the great 5th century pope, but rather to the German Franciscan immigrant who died a martyr at Mary's feet in 20th century Denver. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at sqpn. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. I'm Noel Easter Crow. <laughs> Stay classy, San Diego. How'd that happen? I know. I'm still surprised by it. <laughs> I think I know what the outtake is this week. <laughs> this is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture. And in the past year, we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment, make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show, The Mandalorian, and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline, but until we eliminate our deficits, the future of Star 
StarQuest and your favorite shows remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful and we ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help in every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas and remember that your gifts are tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth.